Welcome to Lynn Cullen Live, talk radio without the static. Email your questions and comments to lynn at pghcitypaper.com. And now your host, Lynn Cullen. Uh, hello, 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 and sorry, um, sorry I uh, oh, started up a little late here today. Um, parking downtown has gotten worse. I don't know. Can't find places. I always could. Think of all the years I've had no real problem. Jeez. And then the the parking app, the Pittsburgh Parking Authority app, they've updated it, I guess, because it, it doesn't look like it used to. Some of you who use it will know that. And why do they do that when you get totally adept at navigating, um, you know, a site? Uh, especially one like a parking app where you want to just go zip, 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 zip. That's the joy of it. And now it just, <laughs> oh, God. Anyway, they lost my credit card that was on file. I had to redo all of that. They insisted that the address I gave for my billing address was in Pittsfield, Massachusetts. I kept saying, no, it's a... <laughs> seems to me I started the last show like this, too. Well, it still is not under control. Anyway, typical rainy Monday kind of a thing. Uh, you know, lest we complain about the weather, I just want you to know I talked to my mother last night. <laughs> she was she was looking out her window. She was, you could barely see out her windows. The snow, and coming from a woman who's lived most of her life, which is almost a century, in uh, Green Bay, Wisconsin, for her to say, I have never seen this amount of snow. Never. Uh, that, that strikes me as astonishing, given some of the memories I have of snow in, in Green Bay. But that it was April 15th. <laughs> The poor woman had been snowed in. I mean, snowed in since Friday night. Oh, actually, intrepid as she is, on Friday night, as the blizzard began, she still felt that she had to show up at Friday night services at the local synagogue, which is so bereft of congregants now that there's only a rabbi every once in a while who comes in from um, Mil comes up from Milwaukee. And when he's not there, my mother's 90-year-old friend, <laughs> Libby Miller, acts as the rabbi. And so my mom was thinking, well, Libby will be there, and I've got to show up. So blizzard starting, 95-year-old woman gets in her car, and, you know, it was a little dicey, but yeah, intrepid as she is, makes it to the synagogue. There is the other intrepid 90-year-old, Libby Miller, up on what's called the Bima, the altar. And um, there were four other people there, <laughs> most of them women, most of them old women. Unbelievable. Then, since then, over two feet of snow has, has fallen. And when I talked to her yesterday, they were forecasting another foot. So and and uh, winds of like 50 miles an hour. So it's drifting over windows, and I mean you can't. Nobody's moving. 
anywhere. The guy who likes to come and help her with her driveway with a snowblower, the snowblower broke. It couldn't handle the the incredible, it's wet, the wetness. It's the same system that's doing this, exact same system. And as you know, I started my broadcasting career as a weekend weather girl. So I'm always very interested still in checking out radar. And on Friday and Saturday, especially on Saturday, the storm that has been hitting us with all this rain and the storm that has been ravaging the upper Midwest with this extraordinary snow and and I think uh, tornadoes in the south, if you looked at that system, I don't know that I've seen something like that in ages. It literally was impacting and covering half of the United States. If you're a radar junkie like me, you don't see that very often. The The top of the system was way over into the northern De- North Dakota, and the tail of the system was down south of Florida in, um, in the Caribbean uh, Ocean. See? <laughs> Did I just upgrade it? I mean, that's huge. And the whole thing, the thing that we're part of, sort of the big part of the tail, it was still just like going, going around in this counterclockwise direction. Um, that is a huge storm system. So I just wanted to say that while we at least have seen some respite, uh, you could be out in shorts this weekend, you could see some flowers and buds and stuff like that, there are folks who are used to being sort of in the same boat who are now looking at snow that, as my mom said, that she said, I don't think this is going to melt till June. So that's it. That's I'm just telling you. Let's not complain. There's some people who have it uh, a lot worse. Oh, what a pretty. Chris has sent me a picture of her snowies. It looks battered and bruised, but it's still, there it is. Isn't that a beauty? <laughs> you know, a snowies would do you absolutely no good in a three-foot snow. I mean, it, it's not for snow over six inches. It's perfect for here because we don't usually get over six inches. And it's, it's best also when it's not this heavy, wet stuff. Anyway, just saying, just saying, she's got her snowplow. I suppose you want me to talk about something. I mean, like in the news or something. Well, forget about it. Uh, it's just, it, it, it's, it's, it is dispiriting, isn't it? I, I came upon something that gave me some hope, and I printed it out, but... Um, in the printing, I, I didn't print all of it, so I left the, I, I don't have the page telling me and then you uh, who wrote it, which I don't like to do. I, I, I like to attribute anything that's not coming directly out of my own head, um, and I'm unable to, although this was a piece in the New Yorker, and uh written by a guy who um who talks about um 
how so many people couldn't see the forest for the trees uh, when we went into Iraq and couldn't see how that would play out until, of course, it did, and how other people, we also were sort of blindsided. We couldn't see um, the the big bubble burst that uh, sent us nearly into a depression. That that generally speaking, we're just sort of going about our our daily lives. Maybe we hear a little bit of a Paul Revere cry from over there from somebody, and and you know tend to oh well that's interesting, and just keep on going. And this guy was saying that first of all he generally sees these th he was crediting himself if i remember correctly with um being more prescient than most of us and so coming from him who he said saw the horror that iraq would be i'd like to say so did i so did i uh although i didn't see the the coming depression or re huge recession but he says and I'll read this sentence from him. He's speaking of all the occurrences of last week, and I mostly the uh, raid on the president's attorney's office and home uh, and hotel room, Michael Cohen. And this now unnamed <laughs> person in the New Yorker said, this, oh, thank you, Milton, you're unbelievable. That piece is by Adam Davidson. Okay, thank you. And Mr. Davidson said this. This week we know with increasing certainty that we are entering the last phase of the Trump presidency. This does not feel like a prophecy. It feels like a simple statement of apparent truth. So if you've had that feeling as you've watched this, this guy, who apparently has a pretty good record of reading tea leaves, says that he's very, very certain that these are the end times for Donald Trump's presidency. And he doesn't define, you know, how long a phase might be. So, in fact, this could mean it's, uh, you know, it's easily a year away. I don't know. Anyway, he says this. I am unaware of anybody who has taken a serious look of Trump's business who doesn't believe that there is a high likelihood of rampant criminality. You know what? I haven't taken a particularly really serious look at Trump's business practices, but I have little doubt that anyone in a position to do so, as these investigators who now have all this information from his attorney, will of course find <laughs> unbelievable rampant criminality. And even the casual observer, as this guy points out, knows some of the shady dealings because they have been reported on. 
uh, in Azerbaijan. Trump did business with uh, a, a money launderer for Iran's Revolutionary Guard. I think this is something that Rachel Maddow has been uh, very specific about. In the Republic of Georgia, Trump partnered with a group that was being investigated for a possible role in the largest known bank fraud and money laundering case in the history, in history, in history. Um, I mean, he's all, he, he's, a, he's a grifter. He's, he's, he's absolutely, like he's almost incapable of ever making a true statement. He is also almost incapable of conducting his business in an above-board legal manner. It's not how he's ever done it. It's not how he operates. He's a grifter. In Indonesia, uh, he worked with a guy who was knee-deep in dirty politics, uh, there are criminal invest investigations going on right now in his deals, uh, into some of his deals in Brazil. Uh, the FBI is reportedly looking into Ivanka's uh, role in the Trump Hotel in Vancouver, for which she was in cahoots with a Malaysian family that has admitted to financial fraud. Uh, y you know, you got the, the kids too, Donald Jr. and Ivanka, are, are constantly being investigated for financial crimes associated with uh, all kinds of their hotel deals, including the Trump Hotel in Soho. Uh, and that investigation was halted, according to this guy, suspiciously. Somebody leaned on somebody. Um, and with his Taj Mahal Casino, uh, he, when he had that, it received what was then the largest fine in history for money laundering violations. He's a crook. It's how he operates. And this guy says, you know, and I could go on and on. I'm not. Li I'm limiting myself to things that happened over the last ten years. <laughs> not looking into, of course, his long history of dealing with New York mafia figures and all kinds of other stuff. So, the fact that now we're away from Russian collusion. And you've got the Southern District of New York, um, independent of Mueller, looking into the business. That's where the you-know-what's going to hit the fan. Um, and he says, you know, so what? So this becomes known, all the people who refuse to do anything but... Uh, look at him as some brilliant operator who's, you know, beset and besieged by elites and all of that, that those people are never going to have their heads turned around. But he says, maybe, maybe this might do it, peel off more of them, because if all of these shady criminal activities uh, become public and known, it will become obvious that Donald Trump was not who he sold himself as to the adoring fan base. That he did not and does not sit atop some kind of global empire. That he was not and is not some kind of genius. 
and tough guy who created billions of dollars of wealth through his fearlessness. Uh, the, when the fact of the reality of the Trump business, criminal, criminal business, uh, becomes known, it will be shown to be, as Davidson says, a small, sad operation, mostly run by his two oldest children and Michael Cohen, who we now see is a lousy lawyer and who now, of course, faces uh, an avalanche, avalanche of uh, criminal, criminal charges. And so if his fixer, if his right-hand guy, if the guy that's like another son to him, is staring down the barrel of uh, huge jail time. Uh, thinking that Trump's hands are clean is simply impossible. I mean, you'd have to be nuts. My curiosity, and we'll have to wait and see, is whether Mueller, or wh whether the... Um, the attorney for the Southern District in New York will be able to to flip Cohen. If he flips Cohen, it's over. It's over. And as this guy says, there are a lot of important legal questions that remain. How much did Trump and his children know about all the criminality of the people they were dealing with? How explicit were they in agreeing to put uh, their shiny Trump brand on top of some really stinky, corrupt deals? Um, and the answers to those questions will, uh, will only be known when these investigators uh, get done combing through all of, uh, all of this. And it will, of course, determine uh, whether... Trump and his kids end up in jail, or uh, for how long? But he says this at the end of this New Yorker piece, it seems likely that when we look back on this last week, we will then see it, you know, with the hindsight being the ability to finally sort of start seeing things more clearly with some distance we could well see that this last week was the turning point. That we are now in the end stages of Donald Trump's presidency. We can only hope. Uh, the stories that got me uh, over the weekend, the story that did, and then there were others that sort of piled on, was the Starbucks thing. And anybody who's been asleep over the weekend um, who doesn't know, know, might know that in Philadelphia, two black men were sitting in a Starbucks waiting uh, for their friend to arrive. They were they were sitting at a, a table at a Starbucks in Philly. And um, 
I guess they asked to use the bathroom at one point. One of them did, and they were told uh, the bathroom is only for people who have bought something. And I guess they didn't want to buy anything. They were just there to meet somebody. So they, you know, didn't use the bathroom. They just sat there like everybody else in the Starbucks. And all of a sudden the police are called. (laughs) About, what is it, five or six cops come into this Starbucks and go over to the one table where the two black people were and um, tell them that there is, uh, they've gotten a call and there is a concern that they've, they are trespassing. Both men eventually, one handcuffed, I don't know if the other was handcuffed, ended up outside with the cops, even after the man they were waiting for arrived and vouched for them saying and the guy they're waiting for was white he arrives he says what the heck's going on i'm i'm yeah i'm here to meet with them thus corroborating what they had told the cops that they were not trespassing that they were how many times have you met somebody at a starbucks It's what people do. And I am not a Starbucks aficionado. I do not frequent them. I don't get the whole coffee shop thing. But I drive by them all the time. And what do I see when I look in the window? I see people sitting for hours. Obviously, I have. I've seen the same person sitting there coming and going, uh, working on their computers oh maybe they have one cup of of coffee I don't know it is so unbelievable so unbelievable we've come to know us white folks over the years if we're paying any attention at all that there's actually a crime D-W-B, driving while black. I remember the first time I heard that. It was a long time ago. There's no D-W-W, driving while white, but there really is, and we've come to know it. Ask Johnny Gamage, a local case of a black man, minding his own business, ending up dead. for the crime of driving while black through a white suburb. So there's driving while black. There's walking down a sidewalk while black. Ask Trayvon Martin. Oh, I forget. We can't ask Trayvon Martin. We can't ask Johnny Gamage. And it's hardly as though there aren't a ton, and we know it now, of other black men who died for the same crime of simply being black. 
black people will tell you they go into a store and they actually in their heads are trying to look innocent. I mean, can you imagine? Have you ever walked into a store? I'm talking to the white folks. You ever walked into a store and actively tried to look innocent? What does that even mean? Have you ever tried to live your life with the constant suspicion that you're up to no good? Whatever it is you're doing? White ladies holding their purses as you approach them, walking across the street. And now there's a crime waiting in a Starbucks? Black people aren't surprised by this. It's us white folks who are seeing this, having the scales ripped from our eyes. And how can you not feel such shame? My white privilege, <laughs> you didn't have a clue what white privilege, how extensive it is. You can go to the store and not be immediately under suspicion of criminal action. You, talking to the white people, can walk down the street, the sidewalk, can go into any neighborhood and you're not looked at as somebody up to no good. You don't have to constantly be aware of where you are. I know if you talk to people who are in war zones, they'll talk to you about situational awareness. Always be aware who's around you, what's happening. That is how black people live, ex especially black men. And let me tell you something. You ever noticed you're likely to die earlier if you're a black person in this country? You don't suppose that would have anything to do with the inherent stress of dealing with the racist society in which you live, in which you are always guilty until proven innocent. Did you see... Another story over the weekend. This involves a black boy. Fourteen years old. Brennan Walker. He's a freshman. 
at Rochester High School in Rochester Hills, Michigan. His favorite class is World Studies. Brennan Wallace, uh, in this very consequential last week, uh, didn't hear his alarm on Thursday morning. And um, he woke up late and he'd missed the bus, the school bus. And he jumped out of bed, got his clothes on, and thought, uh, okay, I'll walk. He figured it'd be about an hour and a half walk. But he figured he'd only miss the first two periods. And he'd get there in time for world studies, his third period class. And you know how you're on a bus and you're being driven? You don't necessarily pay attention <laughs> all that much? Somewhere in the course of his 90-minute walk to school, he made a wrong turn. And he ended up in this residential neighborhood, and he thought, uh-oh, where the heck am I? He didn't have a cell phone on him. He didn't have a GPS. So he did what anybody would have done. And as a kid, I know I did this on a few occasions. I knocked on someone's door. He knocked on the first door and nobody answered, so he knocked on another door. And a woman answered and began screaming. at the sight of him, a 14-year-old black boy on her doorstep. She began screaming, and he was trying to calm her and say, I, I, I just, I, I was wondering, I, I need to get to Richmond. Can you help me get to, I'm lost? Screaming. Her husband comes running from upstairs. And he had a shotgun. Fourteen-year-old Brennan Walker, seeing that, turned and began running. Like a lot of black men learn to do began running for his life, waiting for the what he couldn't imagine would be the sensation of a bullet tearing into his back. He heard the shot, but he didn't feel anything. He kept running. He ran, he ran, and it was just a few minutes later then he ran into a whole bunch of cops. Cops who see a running black boy 
Now he's lucky they didn't shoot him, and they probably would have been better shots. They had received a call from a hysterical woman saying there was this black person trying to break into her house or something. And so the cops stopped him. Thank God didn't kill him. We would have totally understood if they did, right? And this terrified child told the cops what had happened. And I guess it's a sign that things have gotten slightly better in some places, that the cops believed him. And then it turns out there's security footage, which totally shows the boy was telling the truth. The man who shot at him, lousy shot, 53-year-old Jeffrey Ziegler has been charged with assault with intent to murder and possession of a firearm in commission of a felony. The cop, the sheriff said, it's disgusting. It's disturbing. And it's unacceptable on every level. Oh, yeah. I don't know why I don't know why there are so many white people who simply will not acknowledge this reality of being a black man in this country and the stress and the terror that come with it. You have to be willfully, and I would suggest hatefully blind. And we, white people, tell black people to clean up their act? We do. My white shame overtakes my white privilege or not. My white privilege knows no bounds. We don't even understand how much, how far ahead of the game we are.
I'm ashamed. And you know what? I, I've said this before. I've said it a million times. I've said it f for decades. If I, by accident of birth, because all our births are accident of birth, we don't pick our parents, we don't pick our race, we don't pick our intellect, we don't pick anything. We just get brought into the world. And if, by accident of birth, I hadn't been born to two white parents in an all-white town of Green Bay, Wisconsin, but instead had been born to two black parents in, let's say, an all-black, relatively poor neighborhood in any city. Take your pick. I've often thought from a young age, once I slightly began to see, that being black in America was not the same experience that I had. I wondered how I would navigate my life. And I'll tell you something. I, knowing myself, think I'd be dead by now, for sure. And I used to say I'd be dead by now when I was in my 20s. Because I think the rage I would feel would consume me. I, my sense of myself is it would consume me. And when we think about racism, how some people, I mean, we all know people who had like a one negative experience, let's say, with a black person, one negative experience, <laughs> even imagined, I thought they were this and that, will then use that to tar every black person they see. And if one seems to not every once in a while fit their blanket, negative idea of what a black person is, they'll suggest that that person somehow is an exception, right? We all know this. I don't understand how there are any black people in this country who don't hate white people on sight. Did I say that right, or did I get that inside out? I, I'm telling you, again, if I were black, I don't know. I'm just saying. I despair Maybe not. Wait a minute.
because I see young people. Young people are not as messed up as my generation and the generation ahead of me. The racists are diminishing a little bit with each generation. But there's always going to be a huge hunk of America who by virtue of secluding themselves from these frightening people unlike themselves will continue to propagate <laughs> and promulgate the ugliness that infests their souls. I don't know how I mean, I, I don't I don't know what the hell white a white person is I don't know what we're supposed to do when we see it other than just walk around feeling shame. I don't know. That's oh, that's a liberal. I'm a liberal, yeah. I don't know what to do. But I'm just saying, I can't take it anymore. I can't take What this country, my country, how the hell can you sing the Star-Spangled Banner? How? When the words are lies, how do you not all take a knee? Land of the free? What? If you're a black man free to what? Be humiliated because you're waiting for somebody in a Starbucks? Free what? To be shot in the back because you're a kid who's lost and asking for directions? Ugh. I pledge allegiance <laughs> to the United States. I don't think so. It's pretty goddamn hard. Look at how deep the racism is in our country. Just look at the White House. The White House returned to the white folk in the person of this grotesquerie. I know I've got a call. Hang on a minute. It's really something. Jonathan does write, the good thing to me is that the white people who were in that Starbucks didn't sit quietly and stare at their coffee. They spoke up. They took a video. And thanks to the woman sharing the video, they called attention to the matter. Right. All right. Caller, go ahead, please. Hi. Hi. Hey, Lynn, um, I agree with you 100%. But I'll add something to that is I see the white people, and I've many times, do that with other white people because of their financial 
means, for instance, I've heard people say, we have projects here. And it's mostly white that live in the ones I know of. There's some black. But the white people walk by their house, it's from the projects, and they'll say, watch your stuff because there's people from the projects. So it's your financial well, that's, means, too. Well, that has a lot to do. Right. You know what I'm saying? I agree on the other thing 100%. I always thought that. But this, I see that with that, and I see that what well, comes from the Republican Party, too. Same way with you see somebody has food stamps getting steaks. I guess they're not allowed to eat a steak. Well, I, like I say, you know, eat a steak, eat a steak. What the hell? I, I don't understand. People get mad because they're buying steaks. I've heard that, too. And it's white people. It's not black. So that part there, they do that, too. Yeah. I don't know if there are really that, some awful, awful, awful human beings in this world. Oh, God. Thank you. Appreciate yeah, the call. It's, yeah. Okay. Okay, thank you. Uh-huh. Bye. Bye. That brings me to uh, the obituary of the day. It's a name you might not know. Civil rights leader. Charles McDoo. I did not know. He grew up in uh, small town Ohio. But his parents had originally come from the south. And even though he wanted to go to the University of Michigan, to college, his father and mother said, no, please, go to our alma mater, an all-black college in Orangeburg. Where? Orangeburg. What horrific south, southern state is Orangeburg in? <laughs> I don't even know. Orangeburg. Oh, South Carolina. Uh, yeah. So he went to South Carolina State College, which is black, all black. And so here's a kid, a freshman in college, coming down from Ohio. It's not like he didn't know racism, but he didn't quite know Jim Crow as much, right? He knew racism. His own father, who had graduated from this same college and had taught high school down there, an all-black high school, came up north and was not allowed to teach high school because <laughs> he was black. So racism the family knew, but for some reason the parents wanted him to have a sense of his South Carolina heritage. And so down he went to Orangeburg, South Carolina. That this guy didn't end up dead is beyond belief. Tom Hayden, you'll recall, the, the founder of uh, Students for uh, Democratic Society, SDS, and also one of Jane Fonda's husbands. Tom Hayden um, knew Charles McDew, and he said of him this, he was a combination of intellectual and jock, possessed of an absolutely arrogant fearlessness. 
Well, arrogant fearlessness in a black man is uh, particularly dangerous, isn't it? And that he lived to be 79 is uh, evidence of his, I think, luck in large part. Because when he, as a young young man, 18, down there in Orangeburg, in Jim Crow South, he was stopped in his car by a cop. And um, the police officer became enraged because Charles McDew did not show the proper proper deference to him. He was not yes sir, no sirring him. No. And the cop was so enraged that he struck this young guy, Charles McDew, this uppity black kid. And Charles McDew did something that, here's why I'm surprised he lived. His reaction was, he hit the cop back. He was not killed. He wound up in jail. Broken arm, broken jaw, other injuries. And then, not too long later, he was on a train heading back down south. He'd gone home and heading back to college. And he was arrested again after he refused to sit in the baggage car. Because the way blacks were allowed to ride the train was... Well, here, he explained it in his own words. It was 1959. He said, there was one car on the train for black people. It was the car right behind the engines where the soot and the dirt and the dust would come through. And when that was filled, they'd put us in the baggage car. I said, no, 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 sport, not for my little $10.50 do I ride with suitcases and dogs. I don't do baggage cars, and there are plenty of seats right here, and I'm going to have one of them, and he sat down. He was arrested. And when he finally got back to Orangeburg, he got arrested again because coming, going to the school, he walked through, took a shortcut, through a whites-only public park. So he said, I'd been arrested for the third time in just two days. And that sort of started his... becoming an activist. He was by nature, obviously. Uh, 
He became the second uh, serving chairman of the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, SNCC. Uh, he handed off the gavel to John Lewis, who we all know as a hero of the civil rights movement and now a congressperson from Georgia. The NAACP has called uh, Charles McDrew a central player in mobilizing young people across the South at the height of the civil rights movement. I had not heard of him. He died up in Boston where he had, this was a few weeks ago, where he had joined friends to celebrate Passover. And when I saw that, I thought, huh? And it turns out, as a young man, he converted to Judaism after being denied entrance to a white church in the South. He began looking around for other kinds of religions and found a synagogue welcoming. And so I'll end his obit with, with this from another leader of uh, the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, Bob Moses, who said uh, this about Charles McDrew. He was a black by birth, a Jew by choice, and a revolutionary by necessity. Charles McDew, have I been saying McDrew? Charles McDew, D-E-W. Uh, Brooke reminds us, and this is important, this is the last day to register to vote in the primaries in May. Today's the last day to register. If you know anybody, especially young people, get to them and get them registered today, okay? You might also have seen that Connor Lamb now, uh, who is a sitting congressperson, uh, is, is now the only candidate uh, only Democratic candidate, and there is no uh, active primary in uh, the district, not the one he's representing now, but the one he will be running in because of the redistricting, which is, which is good. All the other Democrats who thought they were going to be taking on Keith Rothfuss, this seating, sitting Republican congressman, have all given way to the person they think, by virtue of his um, obvious uh, win um, recently, uh, they have said, you go for him. So he is the only Democrat, and he will be running against Keith Rothfuss. And uh, man, I want to see him take him out. So we're going to have a lot of work to do, guys. Chris writes, isn't Philly supposed to be the city of brotherly love? Oh, yeah, right. Tell that to, um, <laughs> tell that to Sidney Crosby. <laughs> Man, those fans are ugly there. Jeez. And to think that I was 
I rooted for him. I was one of them during the Super Bowl. Jeez. I swear, never again. Man, God, they're ugly. Okay, Dorothea writes, Lynn, regarding the tragedy at Starbucks, it has been 150 years since the Civil War. And what has changed? Well, it has changed. We can't lose sight of that. Otherwise, you're saying that all of the extraordinarily brave, courageous people like Charles McDew, like Dr. King, like, I mean, and going even before them and, and after, I mean, we have made progress. But I remember, like, during all the busing fights, people saying, you can legislate that people have to do this or that, but you cannot legislate what's in their hearts. And that's true. And that's, that's the part that keeps getting in the way. Um, but I know what you say. I know what you mean. It's so disheartening. how entrenched this racism is, how intransigent its keepers are. Good people, many of them, really. I mean, in every other way, people you might like, people in your family, people you might love. What is it in this human animal because it must be, obviously, something that innate that makes us hate the other. I'll tell you what it is. It's the way we're wired, right? It's a survival mechanism. Back when you weren't sure who was in your tribe, so you had to get your back up when somebody who was different came around. And it doesn't matter now if we're wearing three-piece suits and have, you know, fancy gadgets all around us. It doesn't matter. There's still that same fight-or-flight response in a lot of people's heads and hearts. Jeez, that reptilian brain part there at the bottom is in, is working. Oh, my God, look what time it is. How'd that happen? Okay, and Dor I'm just going to finish your emails and then I'll stop. Okay, and uh, Dorothy also says, and we have a president now who tells us there are good people on both sides. Yeah, well, I just said that too, right? Uh, this is, uh, Mark says, it may be that the lawyer, Cohen, who knows everything about Trump's dirty dealings, may oh, may not be Cohen, Check out a guy named Jason Greenblatt. Hopefully he becomes very well known. I don't know who he is. My daughter is a jazz singer. She's white. And she would frequently be pulled over when traveling with black musicians. The same was not the true when traveling with white musicians. Yeah. Nikki Haley had trouble with the question of why we send missiles to Syria when they kill people with gas, but we do nothing if men, women, and children shredded with shrapnel from artillery rounds. I would suggest that it is because of the pictures. 
Pictures of kids choking to death are hard to look at. If pictures of Sandy Hook, the Vegas concert, Parkland, Florida, or the Texas church were shown to the public, the gun debate may be very different. I don't know. I don't know. Chuck, uh, the two things uh, out. Uh, he's talking about Comey stuff. I am. I have to tell you, I'm. I'm totally not interested. I, I'm still enraged at Comey, and um, you know, I. I don't know. There's nothing in that book we don't know. Two things jumped out at me last night. Chuck says Comey mentioned that he often saw shades of the mafia in Trump's White House. He said that Trump sought loyalty like that of a mob boss. Imagine for a moment what it's like to work day in after day in that administration where fear is your only motivation. Comey also said that he would prefer the president not be impeached. Rather, he wants the people of the United States to remove him from office at the ballot box. And although I can understand his sentiment, we couldn't keep him out of office in 2016 and right now we don't trust our election system and our voters are being wrongly influenced get him out now I don't think we can take the two and a half more years I don't know I don't know and one more Carol writes being a bleeding heart liberal I know that I am a dying breed and I feel so sorry for what is left I view the video at Starbucks and see people looking on does the same fear that blacks feel for cops keep them silent, or is it their prejudice, racism, or intolerance? What? I didn't get that. I have thought about what I may have done in that situation. I'm pretty sure I would have had to stand and say something for these young men's defense. Well, people did. But that is due uh, to the time I came up in and things I saw and experienced. You say we have made progress. This is has perhaps taken away the lessons that needed to be learned to see how this is taking us back to the past and not the future. Well, you know, look at who our president is. Uh, the fact that Barack Obama, this black man, this dignified black man, was elected president, resulted in it made all those white folks go ape shit. And I got to tell you, the majority, the only people who still are behind Donald Trump are white people, the demographic, white people. You want to know what's wrong with our country? White people. I'm embarrassed to be in this skin. I am. I am embarrassed. I'm sorry, I've gone over, but man... I had a lot to get off my chest. Stay dry. Stay warm. See ya. Lynn Cullen Live, Monday through Friday from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. and archived at pghcitypaper.com. The opinions expressed on Lynn Cullen Live are those of the host and do not necessarily reflect the viewpoints of Pittsburgh City Paper or its advertisers.